Hey everybody, it's Jillian here. Um, while we are going on break, we are not going to stop um, releasing content, although this will be old content, maybe stories that you forgot we even talked about. Um, and it's just a time to revisit some of our best stories, some of our favorite stories um, from the podcast. And I've been doing a smaller version of this on our Instagram using reels, calling it Mother Nature Will Kill You Rewind. So today we are going to revisit like probably one of my most referenced stories, my most talked about stories. I make references to this story all the time. I bet you can guess uh, which one it is. Um, so without further ado, here's episode one of Mother Nature Will Kill You Rewind and enjoy. And please don't try to judge us too harshly for our crappy audio feed. We did not know what we were doing at this time. All right. See you soon. Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine. And let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. I don't want to die, but I'll have to try. episode three episode three Woo-woo! it took us like three weeks to get to episode three but we did it <laughs> holla holla <laughs> it's been a bit of a ride so for all the viewers we've been recording the first three episodes ahead of time before we release we've been doing it you know every actually every week or so and uh, in order to have three episodes out when we launch the podcast. This one took, uh, what are we on, week four? It's almost been a month now. <laughs> yeah, it's almost been a month. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, for any of the, you who are listening to this, uh, we've been doing this uh, through the big Texas freeze, which if you don't know, I live in Texas. Haley lives in Florida. (laughs) Where we don't have freezes. No. (laughs) And uh, we shouldn't have freezes because I live on the Gulf Coast where it's almost, it's like, I don't know, North Florida conditions, North Mm -hmm. Florida weather pretty much. Oh, there's a little puppy is barking. Well, (laughs) and if any of our listeners hear little puppy barks, you know, we have dogs. It's going to happen. Get over it. It's just life. <laughs> it just it's just gonna happen. <laughs> I know a lot of podcasters are very like ooh about like any of their animals making noise, and I'm like they're animals. They're gonna make noise. Most people, oh really? Yeah. That's a thing. Oh yeah. Oh. 
Like people, no. like I make sure Marzi's not in the room because all you'll hear is just click, clack, click, clack, click, clack. Yeah. Click, clack. But like if she barks and it shows up on the recording, it's like, yeah, it happens, you know? Yeah. Wayland Everybody Space. has. Yeah. Wayland's face comes into Zoom frequently. <laughs> <laughs> or his tail because it's so long. It just <laughs> see like the white tip bouncing around. <laughs> yeah. 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 So before we get into my shit show, I'll ask you. How are you doing? And what are you drinking? <laughs> I'm doing great. I actually had like about 30 minutes of meditation before we got on. So I feel very aligned, which is That's what I needed because I was feeling very burned out by the end of the week. And mm-hmm. yeah. it was a, have you ever been so burned out where you can feel yourself about to lose it? So you're just irritable all like the time, any, any little thing and you don't know how to make it stop. And you're aware of it and it just sucks because you're aware of it and you can't make it stop. And so, yeah, this weekend was really needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm drinking champagne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. It was very pinky up for me. Um, I'm drinking champagne. This is something I don't even know how to pronounce. I'm not even going to try. Um, if you guys are curious, I can put this up on Instagram too. You could. But it would be funny. It would be funny. And I have, if you hear the little clinky clink, I have a spoon at the top because I saw through an Instagram influencer that this is how you keep the bubbles for the next day. Huh. Apparently you put a, a spoon in the bottle and you put it in the fridge and it's still a-okay. And that bottle of champagne, the family that I dog sat for a couple months ago got it for me because I was finishing my grad certificate right while I was dog sitting for them so oh, that's nice yeah they got that for me and I've had it since before December I think it was November time frame is when I've had it and I've just kind of been waiting for a moment to open it up and <laughs> recently I got a little bit more clarity of the direction of my growth in my job so mm-hmm. that was enough for me to open yeah. it <laughs> so exactly. it's all good I yeah mean, we've drank we drank so much wine this weekend because we survived the Great yeah. freeze of 21. I think um, if anything, you guys deserve all the champagne. That's what I'm and saying. And wine and alcohol. Alcohol. And everything in general. <laughs> Food. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. We ate so much after. It was, it was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. I really wanted to send you guys a care package, but I honestly didn't even know how it would get to you because all the roads were frozen over too, right? Yeah. yeah. It probably wouldn't have made it in time for to really make a difference we didn't run low on food though here we'll get into this okay i was just gonna say i was gonna put a lot of hot hands in there (laughs) yes (laughs) oh that would have been so nice just like shake them up rub them together Uh, stick them like in your pants (laughs) that and my dad suggested emergency blankets like those shiny Mm -hmm. things yeah i was gonna put something like that in there too i was yeah anything that was like frozen like not frozen as in like to ship like frozen as in like that would help you guys with frozen things that's what i was going to send ultimately none of us in texas really knew what was that that was going to be the result you know we assumed that maybe some people Mm -hmm. would lose power for like four or five hours at a time in like the big cities but you know the majority would have power because none of us knew well i'm sure some people knew but none of us normal people who don't give a shit about you know that kind of stuff 
Mm-hmm. We didn't know that Texas is on its own grid. And it's yeah, everyone driven, found that out real quick. <laughs> it's basically just driven by mad capitalist greed. Um, and so basically what happened is they didn't winterize anything. And that's not just the windmills, folks. That's everything. Natural gas, everything fucking froze. Okay. Anybody's trying to tell you that, oh, it was the, it was the windmills. It was the windmills that caused it. It's not, it's not that's not what it is. Anyway. People so really kind of, thought it was the windmills that caused well, that's the freeze. What, uh, you know, that's what all of the, uh, you know, people who are against the, you know, climate new change, green deal, pushing. climate change, they're like, whoa, it was the renewable energy. I'm like, that only makes up 10% of Texas's like energy. Like, yes, they froze, but the fucking natural gas and everything else froze too because they didn't winterize anything. Because in Texas, yeah. you don't have to, but it's like occasionally these things happen, especially up north in Dallas. Dallas sees snow, you know, at least once a year. So, well, like, let's just talk about emergency planning and preparedness. Right. But they didn't want to waste the money on it. Cool. <laughs> so, so it's a combination of that and the fact that basically they prioritize, you know, cheap energy over reliable energy. And so the power... The, the, you know, cost of electricity and power just fucking shot through the roof. And then our, like, middleman companies couldn't afford it. So then they sh- started doing, like, rolling blackouts. And then everybody just lost power. So we lost power Monday night um, while we were asleep. We woke up. It was fucking, I don't know, it was probably 50 in the house. You know, it wasn't that cold yet. So we just put on the layers and we kind of just dozed off on the couch all morning because we were just thinking, well, eventually it's going to come back on, you know, Mm -hmm. and it didn't. And so we were like, well, fuck, we got to start making a plan because it's getting colder and colder in the house because we don't have insulation in this house. You don't? No. There's no Is insulation. that up to code? Is that like a code thing? Don't, don't you have to have insulation in houses? A lot of houses down here don't have insulation. A huh. lot of houses in tropical climates don't have insulation. That's ours is a cinder block, which is really conducive to, you know, summer summertime keeping cool in. But there's not like insulation for cold. Yeah, I mean, I see what they're doing there. Mm-hmm. It's dumb. It's cold, so you don't need to have insulation. Right. So <laughs> we basically, throughout the day, it just kept dropping and dropping and dropping, right? So we don't have any power. We knew that we weren't going to have any water because, you know, we're both, quote unquote, northerners. I mean, we know what to do with snow, I guess. Did you guys fill a bathtub up? Yeah, we filled some buckets up and we turned the water off because none of the pipes are insulation, insulated. We knew that we were afraid that they yeah, would burst. Yeah, you don't want it bursting. But we had already planned. Your roof fixed. Yeah. <laughs> so we had already, oh <laughs> we had already planned Whoa. for that. Like a, we before the disaster happened, we were like, well, we'll just do it, you know, Monday night through, you know, Tuesday night just to make sure, you know, we'll just have water aside. It's okay. We don't have to shower for a day. It'll be fine whatever. Um, so we had water, but no power. Um, so we had to make everything on the grill. So we did the you guys had that. <clears throat> yeah. And we just gone to the grocery store. So we had a ton of food. So there, there was that 
was at least good. The problem was it's like you had to go outside and back inside. And so you were just bringing the cold in and out. Mm -hmm. And Marzi loved it. Of course, she thought it was such a fun time. She was just running around in the snow. I was like, good for you. Cause I'm, I'm freaking out here a little bit. (laughs) No knowledge of the current situation, Mm -hmm. just knowledge of the weather. So then we ended up uh, going to ACE because somehow it was still open and their, their power was running. They must be on a generator. So we bought firewood because we have a fireplace. <laughs> Smart. Uh, it's in the biggest room in our house. So. <laughs> oh. so, so we had a fire going, but we couldn't keep like the heat <laughs> in anywhere still. close to you. So we, like, oh my God. <laughs> so we literally like got our mattress from our guest room and put it on the floor in front of the fireplace with like 15 blankets and sleeping bags and like we had which sounds super romantic if it wasn't a freeze yeah (laughs) yeah so you know that that wasn't so bad marzi was a little annoying she was terrified of the fire so she wouldn't come near us really oh yeah she doesn't like fire (laughs) well at least she'll always stay safe in that aspect. I guess so. Eventually she did come like once the coals had died down and like I like made her get under the covers. She didn't want to do that either. Even though she was shivering. I'm like, you're so dumb, dog. Like, come Aww. on. I'm trying hey. to help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she just yeah. wouldn't. It's so frustrating. So we slept through that night. And then the next morning, Corey gets up and he can see his breath. <gasps> Oh my god. <laughs> so it got an ambient. So it was ambient temperature in the house now, which it was a high of 23 I think that day. Yeah. I mean like we're talking cold weather. It got down to like 16 degrees. The base froze over. There were fish oh. kills everywhere. Yeah, that's not good for uh, the golf for sure. So I had flounder that I had to take care of because if you remember the last episode, I was getting a batch of flounder. Don't worry. They made it. They're doing their little baby flounder things, but I had to go take care of them. I had some people on the property that were helping me take care of them too, but you know, it had to be a joint effort and I still had gas. And I was like, well, I know they still have power there. So let me bring a bunch of stuff to charge and maybe warm up a little so I went and I headed off to do that and I had gotten, you know, a couple streets out of the neighborhood and my back window shattered. And no fucking way. Are you kidding me? Really? Yeah. I From think- it being so cold? And the car being so warm. Yeah. Oh my God. So then we were. Did down. you just like scream right then and there? I, I did. Was screamed. I was so like fucking done, and that was our four wheel drive vehicle. So we were down our four wheel oh drive vehicle. Oh my god! Um, and uh, thankfully though, the roads actually for us were clear because we're by the ocean, so it was warm enough to melt the ice on the road somehow. Huh. I don't. I'm not really sure. I maybe but like, like the, the sun. The, air. the sun came out and it melted everything, mm-hmm. even though it was 23 degrees. I don't, I don't know how, but it was a blessing in disguise because when I got back to the house, I was like, we need, we need to figure something else out because this is not. I mean, it was 20 degrees in the house. 
Yeah, and your car is broken, so it's not mm-hmm. like you can warm up yourselves in the car now either, which also don't do that in a garage because that's how you get poisoned. Yeah. Wow, we don't have a garage to do that in, so. Yeah. <laughs> so we ended up calling our friends who live one town over, and their house has insulation, so they were able to keep it at about 58 degrees, which at that point in time, sound is so luxurious. So I was like, <laughs> we're in a camp out in your living room. We're coming over. Yeah. <clears throat> so we went Seriously. over there and we, and we literally made, uh, we basically blocked the warmest room in the house off from the rest of the house. So it was their den because it had three inside walls. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it went into this little kitchen that had, a uh, propane stove so we could cook inside and then use that residual heat to add to everything. And then, and then it goes into like a living room, like dining room area, but we put blankets up in between to like trap the heat. And that actually worked because we kept it at like 60 degrees between the four of us and the two dogs. And if you went into the other side of the house, it was like 54 degrees. Oh, wow. So it really did. It really did work. Um, Yeah. And that slight difference will make a difference too. Yeah. So we basically had like a survival, non-kinky adult sleepover in (laughs) their tent. (laughs) Give the disclaimer. It wasn't kinky. It wasn't. (sighs) Nothing happened, y'all. Okay. We're just trying to fucking stay warm. This is not that type of podcast. (laughs) So eventually i think it was wednesday night we finally got our power back so we all went back over to our house because their house still didn't have power but we had power and water now and so we all went over took showers and they they stayed with us um but it was rough and like i was telling you earlier you know reading some of these hypothermia symptoms for some of these stories we talk about I'm realizing that me and Corey, Tuesday morning, that morning, it was like 20 degrees and he could see his breath and all that. I'm pretty sure we were showing conditions of like mild early hypothermia. So Um, what were you guys experiencing? The signs that really got me, obviously the exhaustion. And that has continued throughout, you know, two weeks after this Um, But also, I was really confused that morning. I had, like, slurred speech. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it was, like, those kind of things. So we had, like, moved past the point of shivering, you know, to keep warm. It was, like, an exhaustion, like... Body shutting down. uh, Like I was drunk, you know? Mm -hmm. Like altitude sickness. Yeah, like altitude sickness. Um, and so I I definitely think I had some early stage signs. Um, That's crazy. Because if it was just exhaustion, I would be like, oh, it's probably just because I have been through so much emotional mm-hmm. stress over the past three or four days. Well, we really like, didn't sleep either, yeah. you know, because it was just cold, you know. But yeah, so that that was our experience. And honestly, it's a lot better than what most people went through. Yeah, people died. People died, yes. And then also, like, up in Austin and, like, Houston and Dallas and, you know, places farther north, 
you know, they had, didn't have power for like four or five days. We only went without for like three. My cousin's in Dallas and I texted him. I also have cousins that are in Houston too. And they were fine. I found that out through my mom. And so I was texting my cousin that's in Dallas and checking on him. And he said that they're all on gas. So he was fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. God. Yeah. And then um, we found out that somebody we knew or somebody our friend knew in Austin, they were literally burning their furniture to stay warm. <gasps> That's how bad. Like Austin was the worst out of everybody. I'm not really sure exactly why. I don't know if maybe the infrastructure wasn't as good. Um, I know a lot of people had pipes burst. A lot of people. Yeah, I've seen a lot of pipe burst photos. That's a disaster. And it's just because, and everyone's like, well, do people in the South not know to turn their water off? Northerners, we know what to do. It's like, no, because no one's ever had to do that. So unless you've experienced that, you don't think about these things. Yeah, I'm like, let's give a little bit of grace to that, you know? Not everybody lives and grows up the same way you did or whoever is being that way, saying those things. Yeah, and no. I like to see you deal with Texas summer conditions for, yeah. you know. People up north come down in the south, and it's so hot and humid. Like, oh, it's so hot and humid. I'm going to yeah. pass out. Like, it, it goes both ways, bed. Yeah. <laughs> goes both ways. <laughs> so, yeah, so they, they had a lot of, a lot of pipe bursts. Um, they were out I think a lot of people are still don't have water. So um, your friend that had to burn his furniture is – or. Is it a he or she? As our our friend's friend, so I'm not friends. Friend, okay. So you don't know. We heard heard through the grapevine that people were burning their furniture to stay warm because nobody had firewood. We did because we had our trees cut. Part of our trees cut down for the hurricane season, so they didn't fall on the house. And so we had a ton of mesquite wood, and so now our house smells like a barbecue. (laughs) Barbecue. Uh, Yeah. So. Actually, prepping for the hurricane helped us out a lot because we had a lot of water, jugs of water stored away, which took that stress off of us. Yeah, that's, I think about that, like hurricane prep a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> oh my God, <laughs> Haley, <laughs> get it together. Um, <laughs> I think about how since we have to hurricane prep, it probably saves our asses mm-hmm. most of the time because we mm-hmm. have food stored away. We have water stored away. We always have extra gas jugs around things like yeah. that yeah so yeah and we have like charcoal and stuff for our grill so it was like so that kind of helped us a lot that we had that at least that emergency prep mm-hmm. now I'm gonna add you know emergency blankets to my list <laughs> yeah because those would have been good to have um so yeah I mean it's it's this whole thing has been a natural de- disaster of epic proportions. It's going to take billions of dollars to re- rebuild the infrastructure and winterize everything. And I mean, Austin is a fucking mess. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then and then there were food shortages because the roads were still really bad, so nobody could get to these cities. So everywhere, pretty much north of the coast, the roads were awful, frozen over. So nobody could get anywhere. Nobody could get to anywhere warmer. Food couldn't come in. Gas couldn't come in. We experienced a little bit of a gas shortage, which was, it was all right. Cause we, you know, ahead of time filled up 
the cars and the gas cans and it was, it was fine for us. But um, yeah, so they couldn't, no one could get gas. No one could get food. Restaurants were literally after everybody got power back, were literally giving out free food. And there were just lines of people on the streets of Austin. Like it was, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah. So I consider myself really lucky um, considering what other people went through. Uh, but it was still really hard. And I'm, this is coming from somebody who knows snow. I mean, my parents are from Michigan and I've lived in places like Colorado and Washington, places that get snow and winter weather. Like I know what it's like. This is, this was not normal. This was not okay. People should not have to go without power in below freezing conditions for five days, unless they choose to, like some of the people we'll talk about today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and that's just my PSA. So any Northerners that are still like, well, they didn't know better. It's like, no, our government failed us. The state government failed us. Yeah. Like that's you... Like, you can't prepare if you don't know that your whole state is not on the same grid as the rest of the United States and that you can potentially be without power because they didn't do their job to prepare. Yep. Because they don't think that this type of thing can happen. Yep. And Corey and I are both still recovering mentally and physically from the cold. Like, our bodies, our bodies are just so tired still. I bet. So, but you know, we yeah, still gotta... I don't know why you're doing this right now. Like, <laughs> you just want to like recap like, next week? Like... Uh, I don't know. Cause I need a little bit of normalcy. And okay. I mean, we're back at work. It's, I honestly, this weekend, I think we finally have kind of hit a normal level of exhaustion, mm-hmm. not like advanced exhaustion. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to take next weekend off, if you're still tired, say so. <laughs> I'll be like, all right. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. So, so with that, what I are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about the coldest place on earth. And it's Where's not, that? not Texas. <laughs> I was like, is it hell? Like, I'm confused. <laughs> no, it's this little, well, actually, pretty big continent on the bottom of our planet that almost nobody knows anything about. Um, and it's called Antarctica. Question before we get into this. Mm-hmm. Are there penguins in Antarctica? Look at you being so smart and knowing things about biogeography. Yes, there are penguins. Guess what? There's not in Antarctica. And this is a PSA for everybody because pisses me off. Damn Coca-Cola commercials. Polar bears. I know. I was like, polar bears are not in Antarctica. There are no polar bears. You want to know why? I knew there was one of those continents and animals mixed up and I didn't know if it was penguins or polar bears. So you want to know why there's no polar bears in Antarctica? Why are there no polar bears in Antarctica? Because there's penguins. Because penguins exist in big numbers. If there were polar bears down there, there would be no penguins. They would all be eaten. The only reason penguins can exist in Antarctica with their dumb wobbly bodies is because there's nothing that's a land predator to chase them. Yeah, they just got those sea predators. Yeah, that's the, but they get, they're fast swimmers, so, you know, mm-hmm. they don't get absolutely... But, like, on land, I mean, they're, they're pretty wibbly-wobbly. Wibbly and, uh, yeah, if, there, if polar bears existed in Antarctica, there would be no penguins. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. So, so there are no, so, no polar bears. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, no polar bears in Antarctica, but there are penguins. Mm-hmm. So you guys learned something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully. So, I mean, if you already knew that, then <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Ignore what I said. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to go on a rant because that, that drives me nuts. <laughs> no, it drives me nuts too. That's why I was like, wait, let's talk about this real quick. <laughs> like as a biologist. No, they need to know. <laughs> um, but we're talking about Antarctica because it is like one of the most fascinating places in the world to me. Um, and I really want to go just because, I, yeah, I was going to ask why. Yeah. So, why. <laughs> well, let me tell you, um, because it's the closest I'll ever get to going to the moon. It's oh, true. Of, it's kind of like my, it's kind of like my Everest, for example. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to climb Everest. I sure as hell don't want to go to space. Fuck that. But I really want to go to Antarctica because the, oceans that surround that continent are teeming with the most amazing crazy marine life that I just I really want to see yeah all their adaptions to cold mm-hmm. and darkness must mm-hmm. be insane yeah and there's like excuse me I'm burping a lot <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking beer <laughs> what are you drinking I am drinking um it's a Visa uh, from Shiner, um, which okay. Shiner is kind of like the Sam Adams of Texas. Mm-hmm. So Sam Adams is like the East Coast. Like it's a generic beer, but it's more craft beer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Shiner is like you. that. Shiner is like that for Texas. And they have a Visa, which is a like a Berlin style of beer. That's like a very light, crisp, often fruity, a little sour so this one's got dewberries in it, and it's just nice and refreshing. And dewberries, yeah. Up. I know, fancy. We're getting fancy down here. Yeah, I have champagne. You got dewberry beer. Check mm-hmm. you out. Mm-hmm. Check us out. Who would have thought? <laughs> so if I do some awkward burps, um, we'll just edit it out. Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. So Antarctica. Um, one of the things that's really fascinating to me is underneath the sea ice, there's absolutely, you know, it looks barren, you know, frozen wasteland on top of the sea ice. Underneath, there's this amazing community of like very slow growing, almost immortal, uh, like reefs of like sea stars and sponges and anemones and worms. And it's like beautiful and colorful. And they're just chilling down there under the sea ice. And they're almost immortal because the cold water basically preserves them and helps them live longer, which is crazy. And like, as an invertebrate biologist, like that's pretty exciting (laughs) for me. Um, So that, that's like my big draw that. And I just think that, you know, based on pictures I've seen that Antarctica is absolutely beautiful. It's, it's like just so heartbreakingly beautiful and so that's that's my moon that's my mount everest so that's cool yeah but after what i've just been through i'm kind of second guessing myself yeah well that would be a choice that's a choice to go to antarctica yeah in texas was not a choice that's that's true and we would have appropriate gear yeah you would 
You'd be prepared. Yeah. And it's not like I want to do any like trekking through the interior of the continent because there's fucking nothing there. But I, I would love to do like a marine research cruise like around the coastline and stuff, I think. Um, so that's the reason I want to talk about Antarctica. Um, but this specific story is to me the most amazing survival story of all time. I'm interested. Right. I'm excited. So we're going to talk about Ernest Shackleton and the survival story of the Endurance crew. All right. So let's talk about Ernest Shackleton. Um, He first started his Antarctic career with the famed Antarctic explorer, Robert Falcon Scott in 1901. And basically during that trip, he got bit by the polar bug and nothing could keep him away from the Southern continent And this was during a time called the heroic age of Antarctic exploration. Um, So places like England and Norway and even America were basically trying to get to the North um, and South Pole, um, basically to claim it for, you know, white people and bullshit like that. But it was basically kind of like the space race um, in the 1960s. Right. Um, So at this point, in the story, the race for the South Pole was already over. Um, the Norwegian explorer Roald um, Amundsen had won, and Scott uh, had lost his life in the pursuit. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the guy that Shackleton uh, did his first voyage on, and that's a great story. We probably talk about it later, but we're <laughs> talking <right>. about Shackleton, <laughs> Shacky. <laughs> All right, um, so. Shackleton had other ideas after this, though. Uh, Namely, he wanted to do the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition, um, which basically was to cross the entire continent, which nobody had done before, right? So they'd already figured out how to get to the South Pole and back, so that was done. So now we're going to figure out how to get all the way, if we can get all the way across. Um, Mm -hmm. Um, And this almost didn't get off the ground for a variety of reasons, Um, but Shackleton managed to secure enough money through donations and patronage from Britain's elite to get the expedition off the ground. There's a big story behind that, but I find it very boring personally, and it's a a lot of ass-kissing to get money, basically. Yeah. Um, But then the other problem was World War I broke out, like a few days before they were supposed to leave for the South Pole. Oh, no shit. Uh, Yeah. So, so Shackleton had to like write to um, the first Lord of the Admiral Admiralty, which at the time was Winston Churchill, who would eventually become the prime minister during world war two. And basically uh, Churchill was like, you know what, just go ahead, go do it. We'll be fine. (laughs) So they ended up leaving, um, but it almost didn't happen because uh, of World War II. Um, wow. Or sorry, no, World War One. Sorry, World War One. That's what I meant. Um, so Shackleton, in many ways, is, is somewhat of a strange kind of hero for me. Um, at the time, he wasn't really set up to be a great explorer during this heroic age of Antarctic exploration. Um, first, he was Irish. So back in the day, that was already, you know, a negative point for you um, if you were trying to make it in like British society, right? What? Really? Oh, yeah. Why? Well, the the Irish have been persecuted by the British for 
for hundreds and hundreds oh, of see, years. I'm not good at history. That's like oh, that's yeah. my downfall. It's <laughs> a big, you know, the whole pota- the whole potato famine uh-huh. kind of thing. That's because the British like took all the potatoes basically. Oh, and left damn. left the Irish to starve because Ireland was a colony of Britain. Wow, it wasn't always a country. Used that's to be a colony, tough. just like us. Oh, and the God. same can be said for Wales and Scotland. And so pretty much everyone hates England. <laughs> yeah, no, for yeah. that's fair. <laughs> so <This> first <laughs> brief history lesson, that's fair. Uh-huh. Um, so first of all, he was Irish. And then second of all, he wasn't particularly wealthy. Um, but like that sheer determination and willpower just got the expedition going and kind of his background with the other expeditions that he had gone on. Um and it was that same determination and willpower that um, kind of made this story amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I was in a bad survival situation, I could pick five people to be in said situation with me. Uh, Shackleton would easily be in, like one of the top candidates. So the purpose of the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition was, like I said, to cross the Antarctic continent in its entirety and be the first to do so but the crew of the endurance that was the ship that they went down there on the crew of the endurance didn't get that chance um instead they experienced something far more extraordinary extraordinary so the endurance set sail for antarctica in 1914 um, during the southern summer so that's winter for us but it's for like summer for down there to make it easier for the ship to get to shore. So there would be like sea ice, right? Um, So, but mother nature had other plans um, and the conditions in the Weddell Sea where they were going to land gradually grew worse and worse until the endurance became frozen fast in an ice flow in January of 1915. Frozen in an ice flow. Mm-hmm. Like what do you mean by that? So the entire ship was trapped, completely surrounded in ice and like frozen in the ice. Oh my god! Yeah. So, <laughs> what the? How does that even happen? <laughs> it happens a lot, actually, in these like Antarctic and Arctic things. Is it because they're going through the ice and then the ice starts like piling up as the bow keeps pushing and breaking, and then next thing they know, like they're surrounded Mm -hmm. okay and then like if you get a super cold night when cold for there it's like like way down in the negatives yeah like um like negative double digits to the point where sea ice can freeze because it sea ice it has to be like negative four degrees for sea ice to freeze so it has to Mm -hmm. be colder than that um and so you get all of that ice flow around you and then you get a big freeze and then it's all stuck Oh my God! Everything's frozen now. So, yeah, uh, so that's that's the situation that they were in. They could see land <laughs> is the worst part. Oh my God! That's really uh, annoying. So, normal people would be worried about that situation. Um, like I said, for polar explorers, getting frozen into icy seas is somewhat of a normal occurrence and kind of a constant risk. Um, And Shackleton knew that there was a good chance that 
Um, although they were trapped in the Weddell Sea ice flow for the winter, there was a good chance that the ice would thaw in the spring and they would be able to free themselves and make landfall. So they were still holding out to kind of continue the expedition. So basically they stayed put and they lived on the ship during the winter. Um, they were able to keep it warm because um, they had uh, a steam engine, I think. Okay. That's what it was like old timey stuff, but they were able to like keep the ship warm just by body mm -hmm. heat and the fact that it was an insulated ship. It was the endurance I think was supposed to be, or it was an old whaling ship, an old Norwegian whaling ship. So it was designed mm -hmm. to, you know, go into these kinds of conditions. Um, so they were able to, you know, keep warm and basically they went and played games out on the ice um, during good weather days. Um, and they put on plays and playing cards on bad weather days, basically waiting for the ice to break up. And uh, let me show you some pictures. Awesome. So if you go to that first uh, black and white photo, you can see our boy, Ernie. Dirty Ernie, looking <laughs> great. <laughs> He's got a, you know, a strong brow, you know. Some high uh -huh. cheekbones. Um, I'd, I'd say attractive. I think not he's attractive. Like, maybe not like hot damn, but like he's not bad. He's not bad. I would totally have a crush on him. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would. I mean, he's got, he's you know, he's got dad vibes. It's good. <laughs> Does he have a middle part? Oh my God, wait. He did. <laughs> it's that like 1920s, you know. <laughs> that 1920s do yeah oh wow you heard it here first kids he was hip <laughs> so then the second picture you can see the ship like mm -hmm. stuck in the sea ice and you can see how like jagged everything is and how like all the ice flows are just kind of pushing everything up it's really wild that they were even able to get all of these pictures um, because we they had a, a photographer uh, named Frank Hurley who took like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of photos. And that's why this whole ordeal is so well documented. And he's actually a really, he had a really illustrious photography career after this um, as well. And we'll talk about that in the second half, but um, yeah, so, these pictures are just really, really cool to look at because they kind of bring this whole thing into like a 21st century kind of uh, perspective. Like you can kind of imagine what they're going through because it just looks like everyday dudes doing everyday stuff, you know. Dudes being dudes. Dudes being dudes. So if you <laughs> scroll down, um, there's a picture of them in the ship all playing cards during this time oh. and then them out on the sea ice playing soccer that's so cute so that's what they were kind of doing <laughs> so it looks like there's a layer of snow over the sea ice yeah yeah so i mean i guess the storms come through and then they just deposit more and more snow and so and then it just gets built up more and more and more so and yeah. then um, if you look on the next page, you can see <clears throat> their ship is back there on that soccer photo. Just yeah, chilling. Chillin'. <laughs> like, this is where I'm going to be. I can't go anywhere. Yeah. 
And then, so on the next page, um, next to it, there's another picture of the ship at night, which is like my favorite photo. That's really cool. That's what the um, the cover photo for the book is, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so Frank Hurley took this picture with, I think, flares. Oh, really? To yeah. get the lighting like that? Yeah. And so oh, wait, they're emergency flares. I mean, who are they gonna? Yeah, good point. No one's coming to save them. They're on their own. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And it's funny, there's actually another picture that I didn't include on here, and maybe I should have. Um I can Google it. What, yeah. What is it? Well, it's if a I, little the I reason Google I point. didn't put it on is because it is so they used to do like plays and stuff. So oh. of all the guys like dressed up in costumes and some of them are in drag fun some of them are in blackface oh yeah no and, so, and that yeah but it's definitely in the book so when, whenever you get the book you'll yeah I'll... and i just you just see it and you're like oh fuck <laughs> like, <laughs> like really <laughs> but Who you know that out I mean, at least they're being transparent, but uh. yeah. Well, and that's the that's the reason I kind of want to you know bring this to the forefront is because you know you may uh, listeners go off and look at pictures um, yourself, um, and that might pop up. And I just kind of want to address the fact that you know this was the 1900s. Uh, they did shit like that back then. Um, doesn't really make it okay, um, but it is, you know, part of the story. And I just don't want to kind of tuck that under the the rug. Um, and I don't think that it'll necessarily take away from the amazing survival side of the story. But, you know, these were real people. They lived in a time where this is considered okay. And I just think that we need to, you know, address it. It's not okay um blackface is not good it was uh <laughs> that's where you're going with it blackface yeah, isn't good we're addressing it to say that we recognize what they mm-hmm. did back then and we don't agree with it <clears throat> that's yeah that's, that's that. it um but that doesn't necessarily mean that this isn't a good survival story in, in and of itself you know but we can't ignore yeah. uh what what was present the ugly so side of history yeah okay so let me get back to where i was (laughs) so basically you know there was nothing to do but wait so they got frozen in the ice in january and then um at last on the 30th 30th of september so that's about nine months after they got frozen um the ship the ice wasn't you know releasing them it was still very much they were still very much frozen in but the ship got cracked <gasps> because the pressure oh. of the ice pushing against both sides of the ship basically splintered the wood. Oh, no. Um, and that's their shelter at this point. So what they do? Um, so water was basically pouring in the ship from below. And the sailors and the crewmen basically had to scramble inside and retrieve all the supplies and all of the lifeboats they could um, while others attempted to pump water out of the hull. So they had like a bilge pump down in the hull of the ship, which is like the bottom for all of you non-ship 
people. <laughs> um, and so basically they had sailors down there pumping water um, that was up to their waist, even in freezing temperatures below like five degrees Celsius, um, which is definitely below freezing in Fahrenheit. Um so Shackleton knew that they were preparing to camp out on the ice um, and potentially walk over sea ice to get to the land. Um, so he only allowed for the most necessary goods to be retrieved. Um, so the things that they would need for survival. Um, but the expedition photographer that I mentioned earlier, um, who's Frank Hurley, uh, he managed to convince Shackleton to let him keep 150 photographic plates because um, that's how they did photography back then on yeah. like, glass plates. Um, and, and he wanted that in order to preserve the story, um, which I am extremely grateful for because there's a veritable gold mine of pictures from this expedition. Um, although it was in 1915, it makes the situation feel so real, like from a 21st century perspective because you just see people doing normal stuff and also, i'm getting chills looking at these photos you see me they're good too right they are they're clear i mean they're black and white obviously for reasons but they're clear and it's so crazy yeah and uh frank clearly went on to be have an amazing photography career and we'll talk about that a little bit on the end but he i mean he's an amazing photographer and i'd love to get my hands on a book of his work and so I'll post this pictures um, on the podcast website so you can take a look for yourself and on the Instagram because they're so cool. They're just so fascinating. Um, so he managed to save 150 of those prints. Um, that's so great, though. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, having the photos of their mission is part of the story. Mm-hmm. If they succeeded or failed, you know, yeah. they need to have document of that. Yeah. Well, and they didn't even know that if they all died, they were out on the sea ice, right? So they didn't even know that people would be able to get their hands on those photographs in the future. Yeah. Because it might all all sink when the ice melts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So so by October 27th, um, which was about a month after the ship started cracking, uh, Shackleton gave the order to abandon the ship because the ship was so destroyed at that point and it wasn't really salvageable. Um, remind you, they're still just out on the sea ice. <laughs> it's still frozen solid. <laughs> um, so by the 21st of November, the ship had crushed and completely sunk beneath the ice and they were on their own. And if you look, there is a picture um, mm-hmm. of the ship that's it's just completely decimated. There's uh, a man standing next to it and his name is Frank Wild. And I believe he was the uh, like second in command to Shackleton. Um, but you can just see that there's nothing left. And his stance in this photo just exudes, well, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the one I'm getting from this. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we fucked the pig on this one, boys. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Like, uh, so like, crazy. what are we gonna do now? Yeah, so do you want to know what they did? What did they do? <laughs> I need to know. I'm like trying not to scroll past these photos so you can tell me like real time. No, it's fine. Um, let's talk a break or take a break real quick and talk about Antarctic conditions for a second. 
So oh, these, no. these guys have no no <laughs> real shelter other than canvas tents, which mm-hmm. back in the day were not the fancy ones we have now for like polar conditions. They're just literally canvas pup tents, right? Mm. It's not the 1900s. That's that's our shelter. All right. So uh, temperatures on the coast of Antarctica range from about 50 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer and regularly fall below 40, negative 40, sorry, negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, you got to add that negative in there. (laughs) Yeah. So it's even colder in the interior of the continent. So thankfully they weren't there um, because anytime you're near the coast, it's going to be a little bit warmer because the ocean serves as a heat sink. I mean, it makes conditions milder. So that, that helped them. Um, So the entire continent is surrounded by a great polar vortex, which I've gotten to experience the Arctic polar vortex. Yeah. Sounds super fun. Yeah. So it's surrounded by this polar vortex that's constantly blowing catabatic, catabolic winds that can reach up to 60 miles per hour for days at a time, um, bringing blizzards and whiteout conditions. And basically you can't leave your tent because you can't, if you get lost out there, you're done, you're dead. And you can't see, you know, your hand in front of your face sometimes. It's, it's yeah, it's so, like a whiteout over there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's the conditions that they were going to be going into. Well, and also, what does land look like to them down there? Because in my mind, it probably looks super similar to the ice they're on. Um, yes and no. In some places on the coast, um, the rocks kind of show out from in between, like, the ice and the snow. Okay. Um, and it's just because, like, ice can't settle on because they're, they're, they're like sheer rock faces, basically. Yeah. And so you can kind of see land one because there's elevation and two because you can see some of the rock gotcha like the black rock standing out against the white snow gotcha so these men were sleeping out on the ice in canvas pup tents and reindeer skin sleeping bags which while relatively warmer than the outside conditions is still far far from ideal shelter that one would want to have in Antarctica. <laughs> I mean, knowing what I went through for like three days in comparison to uh, months, literal months of that, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how they did it. I really don't. Because, I mean, they're they're not even sleeping elevated. They're sleeping on ice. Yeah. They, I would have lost my shit after day one, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the reindeer sleeping bags, are they like, I'm getting, what What was it where they, that guy cut up in that camel and slept inside that camel? Are you talking about I'm Star Wars? Uh, yeah, Star Wars. I'm talking about Star Wars. Uh, I couldn't remember if it was from Star Wars or for something else that I saw, but I'm getting Star Wars vibes of these reindeer uh, <laughs> or sleeping bags. <laughs> you mean the scene on Hoth where Han Solo cuts open his tauntaun and and decides to climb inside you mean that scene yeah yes that's that's the one i'm getting those vibes with these uh reindeer sleeping bags because you said they were reindeer skins so i mean Mm -hmm. obviously not like they they've been like what what is it um tan tannins and stuff like Mm -hmm. yeah 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 no exactly so basically they 
back in the day, because at that point, you know, they can only work with materials that are available to them at the time. And it's not like they had these, these super like plasticky kind of materials that we have now that are really good at keeping in warmth. So they basically took tips from you know, Inuit and like Greenland peoples and, you know, indigenous peoples of the Arctic and basically did a lot of what they did to keep warm. And one of those things is using seal pelts and reindeer pelts as Mm -hmm. insulation. Yeah. So I guess they laid one down on the ice and then put another on top of them. Oh no. They're like actual sleeping bags. Like, like we have. Yeah. Okay. So they just like sewed them together. Got it. Yeah. They didn't didn't have like zippers or anything. They're like just cold all the time and like bored as fuck because they're just literally sitting out on the ice in these camps, um, just waiting for something to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. And and part of this is because um, it was really, really hard to walk across the sea ice. And we'll kind of get into why that is in a minute. But another problem, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Because it's slippery? (laughs) No. Oh, okay. Okay. We'll, I'll, I'll, we'll get into it. Um, awesome. So another problem is that uh, Antarctica is really hard to get to, um, even now during modern times. Um, but, you know, we have like radio and internet connection and all kinds of communications established with scientists down in Antarctica now. So, I mean, you can send emails to people down there and, and they can get phone calls and, you know, it, it takes more effort than you know a normal phone call you know between like me and you for example but it's still possible um shackleton's crew had none of these things there were no radios because radios had just started to be invented and they were Mm -hmm. using them for like world war one um there wasn't any way to send mail nobody was fucking going down there except for norwegian whalers and they tended to stay away from the actual continent and just fished the seas around the continent so it's not like the whalers would have seen them or known that they were there um the only thing they had was a date in which they were expected to return um and people would just have to assume that things were fine until that date passed and then they would start you know maybe putting together a rescue crew god to go bless. get them so and then on top of that uh britain was in a war at this point <laughs> so rescuing a small party of men in antarctica was probably very low on their priority list of things to do even if they knew shackleton and his men needed rescuing that sucks so to put this in perspective, their expected date to kind of send correspondents back and be like, hey, we made it, everything's great, was two years after they left. Wait, okay, so two years after they left was their expect to be home date, and if you don't come home by this date, then like shit's at the fan? Mm-hmm. Wow. So they wouldn't have, no one would even know that something was amiss for another for year. Two years? Mm-hmm. Golly. I don't know how they did it back then, really. Like, when I think about this stuff and, like, being gone for two years without any communication, it's just, it's my emergency preparedness brain is just starts going off the walls. Like, yeah. What do you, like, what do you do? Yeah. Like, <laughs> 
so yeah so it's like what what do you fucking yeah no one knows no one knows they're in the situation but them Mm -hmm. and And they know they know that no one knows so hopeless because like they know no one knows Mm -hmm. oh my god yeah so it's basically strong i would be if i was in their position it's basically up to them to get themselves out of their the situation that they're in yeah and it's like their boat's broken and there's no resources around to build another one no because they're on the fucking sea ice and yeah even if they were on land, there's no trees in Antarctica. Yeah. There's no trees. Right. Yeah. At all. So you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. So Shackleton knew that they were going to have to get themselves out on their own. And the nearest human inhabitants was more than 800 miles away over some of the roughest seas on the planet. And that was uh, at South, bleh, South Georgia Island, which is an island that's slightly north of that Antarctic Peninsula that kind of juts out. And there was a Norwegian mm-hmm. whaling station there. So that was the only group of people. That's the closest group of people to them. Oh 800, 800 miles away. And these whalers aren't there all the time either, right? No. They come in seasonally. They do. I think like people stay and overwinter just to maintain the facility and like the buildings and stuff. Yeah. So, like, there would have been somebody there at least, or at the very least, there would have been like at least food and resources and stuff. So that was another, the other issue. So they had like, you know, all of their stored food. They lost some of it when the ship sunk, but they managed to get a lot of it off the ship. Mm-hmm. But They were expecting to, you know, not have to be out there for longer than two years. And, you know, they're undergoing harder conditions than maybe they expected. And so the food's slowly running out. Um, They're able to kind of hunt seals, thankfully, Mm -hmm. out on the sea ice um, because the seals will, you know, pop out of their little holes and chill out on the ice and then, you know, if you're quick enough, you can get them before they slide back in. So that's kind of what they were using to kind of replenish their stores at this time. But it will become a bigger problem later. <laughs> I feel like seals are <clears throat> not even that easy to catch. Mm-hmm. Like, because they're carnivores. Yeah. So, like, they're going to attack you. <laughs> well, when they're out on the sea ice, they're kind of vulnerable because they can't move very fast. That's true. They're just like flopping around. Right. So if you, you if you can shoot them, you're fine, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and they had guns and stuff, you know? Okay. Because cool. they were expecting to do some penguin hunting and seal hunting. They also hunted penguins as well. Um, but the other issue is, you know, all of this life is kind of seasonal. During the summer, penguins would be out to sea and they wouldn't necessarily be able to, to hunt them mm-hmm. as much. So it was seasonal as well. And so they had to hunt as much as they could and hope that it got them through kind of the the leaner times. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what they were doing for like nine months, just waiting out on the sea ice. Yeah. And so the reason why they had to just sit tight instead of trying to make their way towards land um, was because... One, the ice was moving and moving them away from land. So the whole ice flow is kind of just shifting around all the time. And so they started off close to land when they were in the ship, thinking that, oh, the ice is going to break up. So then we'll just sail towards the land. But by the time, you know, they were out on the ice in the camps, they couldn't see land anymore. (laughs) That's one. (laughs) That's insane. Yeah. Um, And then two... Um, their biggest problem was actually the sea ice itself. So you see 
sea ice isn't actually normally flat like we all imagine that it is. Um, because the currents in the water underneath the ice are still flowing, they are constantly moving and shifting individual icebergs and flows that are stuck in the bigger sea ice. Um, and then basically this pushing and pressure creates these big things called pressure ridges, which are just giant ice flows thrust into the air like big ice mountains. And so it's not really flat. Um, it's It's like more like trying to trying to go over small mountains, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at these photos still. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So if you can see that first picture of the endurance, how jagged everything is, it's it's like it's like somebody just got a bunch of big old icebergs and piled them on top of each other. Mm-hmm. It's not flat. Um, and it's like, okay, so they could walk over it probably, right? We can climb and no problem. But the thing is, you have to bring supplies with you somehow. Yeah, it's not easy. And so the way they planned on doing that, if you go to the pictures below the crushed ship, you can see them trying to use their sled dogs to climb up these massive uh, pressure ridges, pulling the lifeboats that they had saved. And they turned the lifeboats into giant sledges with runners. So they could put all their supplies in the lifeboats. And they're literally trying to to push these huge lifeboats full of supplies up these pressure ridges. And it's just a fucking nightmare. (laughs) Innovative, though. I can appreciate that. And also, they planned for dogs to be on this voyage. Yeah. Like... wild that's so wild to me that like they think of those things back then too well that was how they were going to cross the antarctic continent in the first place was sled dogs sled dogs Um, got it because it's just what you do that's how you get around in those regions um so they had like 40 sled dogs with them um, oh my god they look so cute yeah they look cute oh stop oh stop it Oh, Jillian, why you have to use that tone? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, what happens to the sled dogs? So, unfortunately, at at the point where you know they decided to to try to start sledging to get anywhere, the dogs had become so weak. Because they were basically, the humans were eating the dog food and the dogs didn't have anything. And so they were getting too weak. And so they had to shoot the dogs for food. Um, And so the dogs weren't really going to be super helpful in the long run anyway. So unfortunately, yeah, none of the dogs um, were able to make it. That's sad. Yeah. So also, like, I get it, but also sad. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, ew, eating dog food. Like, that's the point that we're getting at now. Mm -hmm. Um. So the other problem, besides the dogs, besides these big pressure ridges in the sea ice, is that it was summer. So it was warm enough for the top layer of snow on the sea ice to melt. And basically, that made it hard to push the lifeboat sledges with all their supplies through this like slushy mess so it was like you know going through mud essentially Mm -hmm. so they had weak dogs eventually they had no dogs and it was all human powered they were pushing them up these giant pressure ridges and it was all mushy and it wasn't like solid you know Mm -hmm. solid land i guess or ice um so initially when they started trying to make their way towards where they knew land was 
Um, they were not making more than a distance of seven miles a day at best oh my with, God. with this method. Um, and land was still 200 to 300 miles away from where they were. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not working out for them. Yeah. So, I mean, you can sit and do the calculations, but I feel like <laughs> seven I'm miles. Enough, so I can't yeah. actually. <laughs> seven miles. Uh, actually, let's do this right now. You said 300 miles? Yeah. So, and they're going seven miles a day. So 300 yep. divided by seven. So that'd be 42.85 days. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's only if conditions are good, right? Mm-hmm. That's only if a winter storm doesn't blow through and ground them for three days at a time. God bless. Yeah. So, and they definitely don't have 42 days worth of food because they ate all their dogs. <laughs> right. So they're running out of food too. <laughs> um, so all they could really do was sit in their camp, which was now dubbed patient's camp and wait for the ice to break up. And they were basically hoping that if the ice broke up, they could get in the lifeboats and try to make a break for the Antarctic Peninsula which would take them, you know, maybe 10 days to get to like by paddling and sailing the lifeboats. But 10 days is a lot better than, you know, 42 days. Or 42, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 300 miles, 42 days. So they're sitting all the while the flow that they were anchored to continued to drift and their chance of drifting farther and farther out from solid land was increasing every single day. Um, So, like I said, rations were running low, even with that abundance of seal meat uh, collected during the Antarctic summer when the ecosystem was most productive. Eventually, all the the sled dogs were shot by early April, uh, but land was now actually distantly visible. Um, So Shackleton and the crew were getting anxious to get in their lifeboats um, as the last of the Antarctic islands were beginning to drift past them. Are they living on a prayer at this point? Oh, oh yeah. (laughs) Oh, 100% living on a prayer. They're halfway Uh, there. They're living on a prayer. If you can see kind of a little small archipelago of islands right there but if they miss those if they're not able to get to those in their lifeboats they're just gonna float out into the open sea oh god um so that was kind of like their last fucking chance to (laughs) to like yeah make it to any kind of of solid land so they were getting very anxious to get in their lifeboats um, so in early April, the f- ice flow actually began breaking up beneath them. And this is, I think, April of 1916 now. So we're in year two of this bullshit. Um, wow. <laughs> so the flow began breaking up underneath them literally as they were sleeping. So they're sleeping out on the ice, waiting. Everybody's getting really anxious. They posted watches everywhere to watch for the flow breaking up so they can all get out and get in the boats and go. So the ice is breaking up underneath them literally as they are sleeping. One tent, which was situated right on top of a crack, uh, (gasps) fell into the water below, taking the sleeping man with it. That was going to be my question. Did anyone (laughs) die? Well, they managed to get him out. And dry him off and get him warm. And he actually survived. Oh, my God. (laughs) What? Yeah. Because they got him. I mean, they got him out within seconds of that happening. Oh, wow. So great. Yeah. So that was during the night. And they were worried that, first of all, this guy was in no condition to go anywhere at the time. And then they were worried that if they went out into 
this now hazardous, treacherous maze of flows and icebergs at night that they would get, you know, maybe crushed or run into an iceberg like Titanic style in a tiny, yeah. tiny lifeboat. Um, so the next morning on April 9th, Shackleton made the decision um, for them to leave the relatively solid ice um, and all 28 men crowded into three small lifeboats and began to make their way towards land. So with that, I am unfortunately going to be cutting us off um, and you'll get part two of this story in the next episode because I like to do a lot of research and have really long stories and I don't want to make you sit for three hours and listen to me gab on about shit. So (laughs) at this point, they're heading out into a maze of ice flows with just a chance at reaching land. Yes. At this point. The so. ice has broken up. They've gotten into their little boats. Mm-hmm. The and world it- is their oyster, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and they're still like 800 miles away from any people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they got a big oyster. <laughs> it's a really big fucking oyster. So with that, we'll cut off and we'll continue this. My favorite survival story of all time. So my sources for this um, is mainly uh, a book called Endurance, Shackleton's Incredible Voyage, um, which was written by Alfred Lansing, um, which I have on my bookshelf and have read like twice now. And I've made my dad read because it's just such a bonkers story. And it's based off collections of diaries and journals and stuff that the guys actually kept on expedition. And this guy or author, Alfred Lansing, like put it all together in in this story. And it's, it's super fascinating. Um, And I also got some info on Australian, not Australian, Antarctic, (laughs) Antarctic (laughs) weather and conditions from the Australian Antarctic division. Um, And then also a little bit from Wikipedia because Wikipedia is, everybody says it's shit, but it's actually peer reviewed. So it's actually mostly accurate, which is, is is a a common misconception. So I'm going to use a little Wikipedia occasionally and it's kosher. It's fine. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, I've enjoyed this story. This has been a fun one. I know. And it's really timely after what I got to experience. Yeah. It wasn't even that cold. <laughs> not compared to this, not at all. I mean, maybe sometimes for them conditions were in the twenties, but um when you were saying how in the summertime the temperature there is in the fifties, like fifty mm-hmm. degree Fahrenheit, and mm-hmm. that was about the temperature. Well, it wasn't fifty, but it was like what fifty five, sixty in your friend's house you were at. Mm-hmm. It's like about the temperature you're in mm-hmm. for the day too and I'm like that's the warmest it gets yeah god bless which like yeah. I can do 50s like when they I can said, do well but they were out there for two years right so they experienced the negative twice experienced <laughs> negative first. so they were like basically like out for like nine months in the ship and then the ship got crushed crushed and then they were out for like another I don't know nine to twelve months floating on the sea ice unable to go anywhere because of the pressure ridges and in the summer it got all mushy yeah and the way that you're telling this story it really I'm receiving it as they really just 
pivoted to anything that happened to them and mm-hmm. they didn't mope around about it for a minute no and that- to me that that's like really amazing because if my ship just got <laughs> crushed by ice and i was stranded in the middle of nowhere with like freezing temperatures yeah and, like losing food by the day yeah. and then yeah i would i would just eventually start being like the fuck is happening what are we gonna do yeah the morale of these guys was incredible Mm -hmm. and that's in part because polar explorers often dealt with this kind of stuff this one's a a special story because of like the the length of time they had to deal with this kind of thing but it wasn't unheard of for ships to get frozen in ice for example or you know, they're running low on food and barely make it back to their camp. You know, things like that happen all the time. And so they kind of knew that they would be in for it in that way. But I think also Shackleton and his officers, um, so Frank Wilde, who I think was the second in command, and then Worsley, who we'll talk about in the next part he was the captain of the endurance so he had all these maritime skills that actually really helped them once they got into the light bo- lifeboats and were like you know heading out to to f- try to find land um and like though the fact that those guys were able to remain strong i think helped everybody else and it, it's in part because a lot of those guys had like military backgrounds but because they a lot of them were um veterans basically of of polar Mm -hmm. exploration yeah but like good leadership matters in that sense Mm -hmm. you know if your leader starts panicking then your people start panicking and that's not ideal so there's actually this ad and it turned out to be a fake but i'm gonna read it anyway because i think it speaks to exactly what they were expected to face so supposedly shackleton put this ad out in the newspaper to get men to sign up for this trip and at the time they everybody wanted to sign up i mean he had women signing up for this oh wow back in like the 1900s because basically like they were astronauts of the time yeah they were nasa you know So people wanted to do it. So this ad says men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful honor and recognition in case of success. And that's (laughs) supposedly supposedly that ad was put out by Shackleton for this trip. But it's there's some issues that people think that maybe it it never existed um they have not been able to find a copy of the original advertisement but um like this has been kind of circulated as the sum of the shackleton expedition for so long that like it's kind of famous now Mm -hmm. um and well even if it wasn't well even if it was real because people are saying it's fake right mm -hmm. even if it was real how like how high is the chance that someone would hang on to something like that? Right. It, but it's, it's, it, I think, I think even if it's not real, I think it sums up. <laughs> it, yeah, definitely theory. sums it up. Yeah. Hazardous expedition mm-hmm. will receive credit if successful. <laughs> Safe cool. return, unlikely. And yeah. without, I mean, those were, Sign con- me up. <laughs> those were conditions that they were expected to go into. Like, you know, one of the most famous polar explorers the robert falcon scott who was like a national hero right he died trying to get to the south pole oh so there's no 
there's, there was no guarantee that you were going to make it home. Yeah. So they really were like astronauts back then. Yeah. That's another thing about these people that went on these expeditions or even just off to find new land is they just know, like they know of the possibility of not returning back. So you have you ever heard of that question? If you could have dinner with anyone living or dead, who would it be? Like, yeah. I would probably pick someone that was, like, back then, like, that was an explorer, like, mm-hmm. just to pick their brain about being okay dying like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nuts. Absolutely yeah. nuts. I mean, I can't really think of anything modern day other than, like, like still mountain climbers. Obviously, we know their risk of death is pretty high for, like, Everest yeah. and, like, K2 and, like, those kind of peaks that have the death zone. Like, that's an example. Mm-hmm. Or, like, um, like, deep sea explorers just because, I mean, we have really great technology now, but something bad could happen while you're down there and you're just mm-hmm. screwed. Or astronauts, because human engineering does have its faults. (laughs) Speaking of astronauts, did you see that that uh, rover hit Mars and Mm -hmm. starting to take pictures of it? How neat is that? I I love it. I would love to live to see people make it to Mars. Yeah, me too. I think that would be so badass. Oh my god, I'm just so impressed with the technology and the the scientists behind all of it and all Mm -hmm. the it's really cool stuff that's happening. Yeah, I think we could be on the verge of another great like space exploration time. The fact that private companies are picking this up. I I have a lot of faith because there's a lot of rich people out there that have nothing to do with their money. Talking about talking about you, Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> Get I us like to Mars. <laughs> like love or hate the guy i'm I'm not gonna get into that but the fact that like he has brought together all of these scientists and engineers to try to put somebody on mars is super exciting it was super yeah, exciting he wants to, to populate me. mars well yeah that's whole nother ball game good luck I mean, you got to be dedicated to want to do that because you're probably not coming back. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what's freaky. Yeah. One of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time at slash books. I read the book for the movie, but is The Martian. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Love that movie so, so much. And I think because it's very similar to the Shackleson story, except it's just Matt Damon, you know? <laughs> yeah. Did you like Matt Damon being the actor in it? Oh, yeah, I liked him. He's good in everything he does. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I just, I love that movie. Speaking of movies, so before all this COVID stuff, supposedly there's going to be a movie uh, about Shackleton and the Endurance. No way. No. And, dude, can we like watch it together? <laughs> I would love to. I don't know if they're filming or like if it's coming out still. Aww. Like, shit got crazy. So, money's not really. Yeah, you know I, I mean? hope it does, though. Me, too, because Tom Hardy was supposed <gasps> to play Shackleton. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> like, whew. That's a movie I can get behind. <laughs> like, I'm fascinated with Shackleton, but that would make me want to fuck Shackleton, okay? <laughs> Yo, Shackleton looks already pretty fuckable, in my opinion, but... <laughs> Yes, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. I'm here for it. That's all I'm saying. So anyway, Tom Hardy, if you're listening, I really want you to play Shackleton. <laughs> you could just end it at, I really want you. <laughs> yeah, I could. 
because that is a movie that is so specific to my interests. <laughs> like, it's crazy. This story has been really great. Mm-hmm. I am going to have a hard time not Googling after we get off. Yep. Don't, don't, because it's, because it's crazy. Like, <laughs> the know. part two is crazy. I know, I'm really nice. going to want to. So, cool. Yeah, so uh, this is the time where I guess we talk about um, good things or a good thing that happened to us this week or something that we're looking forward to. Yeah. Okay. So what's what what was one good thing that happened to you this last week? Uh, I got my power back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's <God>. one. <laughs> and somehow all of my baby flounder survived the uh, big Texas freeze because my field station had power the whole time. So that was so our this- backup plan where we were going to go there and sleep in the conference room. That was that's what I was going to ask is mm-hmm. next time this happens or if this ever happens again, if that's a possibility for you guys to use the facility oh. to bunker down. Yeah. Yeah. And that was our backup plan. But it was a lot comfier at our friend's house because we could actually sleep on couches and, and like air mattresses that's and fair. stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> so my fish survived. <laughs> Yay. Yay. And I saw I, your photo on Instagram too about them being larvae. Yeah. They're so cute. So they're metamorphosing right now because we like we talked about last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, flounder start off like normal fish, and then um, as they grow, they start switching over so that both their eyes are on the same side of their head, and then they turn into flatfish. So they're kind of mm-hmm. going through that right now, and it's really fun to watch them kind of change through that whole process. You guys should do like a photo every day and then stitch it all together. Well, the problem is they're at different stages. Like, so some of them are still normal fish and some of them are starting. So I got to find one. Okay. Yeah. So um, anyway, so that, that was good. And then this week I'm finally getting my hair cut. Um, Yay! I have not gotten my hair cut since like last February before COVID. And um I could have gone and got it cut like months ago. I just haven't because I'm tired and exhausted. I don't want okay. to deal. So I am getting uh, my long hair cut off into a bob, which is going to be a lot more manageable for me. And I'm really excited. And for all you Gen Z children out there, I might get a middle part. So I'm going to appease the Gen Z gods right now. <laughs> 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 which we talked uh, about before we started recording yeah the gen z gods mm-hmm. bring yeah. the early 2000s back yeah sh- shaming <laughs> shaming us for our side parts which we all got because it was not cool in middle school to have a middle part middle okay part. yeah that yes <laughs> when I went to school, which was our awkward phase mm-hmm. i had a middle part and it was not cute because I also had braces. Yeah. So like it just and I had bangs in middle mm-hmm. school that I was trying to grow out. And so it was like middle parted bangs like swooping to each side of my face mm-hmm. with braces. And I oh, went yeah. to Catholic school. So I was in a uniform. It was not cute. Just everything was just not cute about it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, if millennials don't want to do a middle part, maybe just have some grace with them and realize that maybe the middle part was their awkward stage of life and they don't mm-hmm. want to live there anymore or we again. Don't. So just yeah. let us have our side part. But mm-hmm. we both agree that 70s fashion would be 
I do. Yes. Yeah. Chef. Thank you for bringing the 70s fashion back because we're both here for that. We're cool with yes. that. But th- enough with the early 2000s because I lived through it. I don't want to do it again. I'm good. <laughs> I'm really quite all right. <laughs> oh, so what, what good things happened to you this week? Dude, I, it's hard to think really because I'm typically a pretty positive person, but mm-hmm. nothing is jumping out at me. I guess I could say this is a positive thing that happened to me this week was I had to write my first letter of support for a grant proposal. I've never had to do that before. So that was a large learning experience, Mm -hmm. but I'm really glad that I did it. Um, And I'm going to be a PI on this person's grant proposal too. So if it gets approved, I'm excited for that. So Uh, PI meaning personal or sorry, I have personal investigators thinking like private eye. (laughs) (laughs) Principal investigator. (laughs) Investigator. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. That one. Yeah. And so for anyone listening that doesn't know what that science term means, whenever a scientist submits a grant, there is always typically one mm-hmm. investigator on a grant and then there can be other um, PIs mm-hmm. on the grant as well. And so this particular grant is for collaborating with another organization in an effort to do more community outreach to remu- remove invasive lionfish off of Florida's coral reef. Yeah. So the reason why I'm the PI on this grant is because I will handle the event coordination and outreach mm-hmm. side of things. Mm-hmm. And then the, the girl that's writing the rant, writing the rant, writing the grants is going to be the scientist on lionfish gotcha. side. Of, yeah. yeah. Which is very important um, because uh, lionfish were released um, into like the Gulf of Mes- Mexico, Atlantic coast from aquariums, I believe. They're actually mm-hmm. Indo-Pacific, I think, mm-hmm. fish. So they're yeah. Pacific. They're not native, basically. And they're such good predators and all of our native fish like don't know how to deal with them, basically. So yeah, they eat till like they explode. So they're like eating all of our native fish, too. Yeah. They're like decimating native fish populations in coral reef areas and they're starting to move north. Um, I think they found them on like artificial reefs, even as far as Texas. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah, not good. Mm -mm. So down here to help mitigate that, they have lionfish derbies. So it's like a two day fishing tournament. They'll go out and spearfish for them. Mm -hmm. That's what they try to do. And then also just requesting lionfish in any local restaurant. If you're down here in Texas or Florida, that helps to drive up the need for them to have them in the restaurants, which drives up the need to go out and get them, mm-hmm. which brings them off the reef. I hear they're pretty good eating. Have you ever? They are. I haven't had them, but they, like, that's part of the the derbies that they have down here is they'll get mm-hmm. a chef to do some tastings. And so also what I'm trying to do too is work with another event coordinator down here mm-hmm. that does a food and wine festival Ooh. to bring a lionfish tasting component to it. So yeah, I know they're super important to get off the reef for sure, but it's at a point where they're never fully going to be removed from these right. waters. Just the point of trying to limit them. So one thing I'm looking forward to this week, I have um, my Toastmasters club on Tuesday, and then I have my singing lesson on Wednesday. Ooh. So those are things that are nice to have around. Wait, what's yeah. Toastmasters? Toastmasters is a professional development organization that focuses on improving your public speaking. 
Right, right, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I was thinking like wine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not far off of my realm of possibilities. So. <laughs> um, probably the toasting part. Yeah, <laughs> like, getting really good at giving toasts. Toast, right. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's how they figured that name out. Giving like public mm-hmm. speaking, giving good at toasts. Um. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really like it. It's been fun. I did my first long speech last meeting and this meeting, I'll be the one that counts all the filler words for anyone giving speeches. So. Uh, d- don't count our filler words on this podcast because there's there's a lot. There is. And I was <laughs> counting them in my head. I noticed every time I said like, um, and I just am like kicking myself. And that's probably half the reason why I can't talk straight is because I'm like in my head about, mm-hmm. oh, I just said like 20 times. Yeah. So that Toastmasters thing is like super fun and I really enjoy it mm-hmm. and I'm glad my boss told me about it because my boss was the one that introduced me to it so oh, you, you like spaz for a second oh yeah. yeah well the internet's you know <laughs> yeah shit as always um yeah so if you hear a little bit of gar- a garbled talking it's because we both literally live in the middle of nowhere and we apologize yeah. <laughs> it's gonna happen <laughs> uh, we're trying we're trying our best okay Haley. so where can all of our listeners find us if you guys would like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast or on Twitter at MNWKY Podcast. And we also have a website now, and that is Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast.com. And it's a beautiful website, and I'm really excited about it. <laughs> I'm excited about it too. So, all of our back images are our personal images. So, we've been there ourselves. So, it's a little bit personal us yeah yeah so good things haircuts are happening toastmasters is happening um mm-hmm. so i guess it's time to uh bring this podcast to a close stay safe but most of all stay curious explorers <laughs>